have a family in, in, in Christ and to be able to worship you and to be able to be here right now and to be able to focus on something that's so important, the hope of the resurrection, of our resurrection, Lord. Someday, God, uh, Father, we'll hear a voice, the voice of Jesus, and all will come out from the graves, as John 5 speaks about, God. And God, all of them will come out of the graves, that we will be resurrected and have immortal bodies, Lord. And God, that just seems so foreign to us, God, because even today I woke up with aches, Father. (laughs) But Lord, to have a body that does not ever decay, to be in a world that doesn't decay, to be in a world that, that is affected by earth, God. Lord, that's amazing. God, I pray as we look into the resurrection of Jesus, we'll see a vision of what is to come for us, God, that are in Christ. Father, what an amazing hope we have. Lord, we don't talk about this enough. Lord, I, I'm so inspired by it, God. I know often, I know Noah walked in on me while I was doing my sermon, and I just was crying. <laughs> and Noah was like, are you okay? And, and it was just one of those moments where I just stood in awe as I was preparing this message. Just that this is real. This is going to happen. And the way it's going to happen, it's just more than I could even ask or imagine, Lord. That, that, Father, how did I find Christ? Sometimes I think, why am I even here? The fact that, that I found the Bible, that I found Jesus Christ as an 18-year-old kid who had no uh, real interest in it, Father, had no understanding of it. I was naive. I was lost. I was, I was searching, but I didn't know where to go. And, Lord, that you found me is amazing. And that, God, I have this hope of resurrection, and I get to give this hope to other people through your son. God, what a privilege it is. God, help the resurrection change us as a congregation, Father. Help our bodily resurrection change us, God. Lord, help us realize that nothing we do in this life is in vain, Father. That, God, everything we do, small acts of love to wide-dreaming-like actions, God, they will impact the next world, Lord. That, God, nothing we do in the Lord doesn't make a ripple effect in eternity, Lord. Father, help us to be inspired, to become even more hardworking, Father, because of the resurrection, God. But it wouldn't be a hard work that's grinding, Father. It would be a hard work that is joyful, Father, because we know, Lord, that what we're doing matters. Father, I know you know this. God, help us to know this, Lord. I'm convicted when when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, um, and so because of this, we know that nothing we do in vain uh, for the Lord is in vain. And, And just to think about that scripture and realize, do we know? Do we really know? Father, I dare say that we have to learn more. We don't completely know. Help us to know more fully today about your resurrection and how that can change our life right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Sorry for the long prayer, but you know, amen. Um, So I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, what we've talked about so far so you can, you know, get caught up. 
And I'm going to read a lot of early Christian uh, writings, which are called the Patristic Fathers, which are basically uh, the first 300 years of Christianity. And I don't know if you're aware of those things, but these people were trained by the apostles and led their churches, and they speak more in depth from the scriptures about the resurrection. So this is really rich stuff. Uh, the last couple Sunday services, people have come up to me and said, I usually, after being a Christian for 10, 15 years, know what's being talked about, but everything was new in this last sermon. Uh, I've been a Christian for 20 years. I haven't even heard this stuff before. And I was like so encouraged by that because at least you're not bored, amen, and you're learning. And, and I think today I feel like I'm learning again in, a, in an amazing way. I'm excited about this study, and I don't think this is going to be the end of it, Amen. So we've done life, death, and beyond. We've gone through the judgment day, the day of the Lord, the great day of the Lord when Jesus Christ will come back. That can happen at any time, at any moment. And when that happens, that is when judgment day happens. And, and essentially, God takes all of his people to a new heaven and new earth. Amen? But as that happens, the resurrection of the dead happens. When Jesus comes back, no one's been resurrected yet except Jesus Christ. Amen? Except Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that. Um, then we're talking about the intermediate state of the dead. That when you die, a lot of people go, okay, they're in heaven, right? Well, the Bible actually says that we go to either paradise, which is an amazing place. What Jesus said to the thief on the cross, remember, today, what did he say? I'll see you in paradise. Pretty cool, huh? That today, not tomorrow, that today, so if someone is in Christ and they pass away, we don't have to grieve like the rest of the world does, amen? Because we know that person is in a better place, in a most beautiful place called paradise. And then we also talked about the, the place of those that don't uh, follow Jesus Christ, and they are separated from God, and that is a place uh, that, that the rich man in Luke 16 was there called torment, or uh, other places uh, called the time of judgment for them until the day of judgment, which is a place of torment, unfortunately. And this is where those that are cut off from God, almost like a light switch, we don't realize how much God is keeping us alive right now and sustaining us. The Bible says actually that we fall asleep and we awake because the Lord sustains us. Job says that any, any moment God could take our spirit away and we would fall. Any time we could become dust. So essentially, what happens when you pull out the plug of a light switch? No more power. And so if we say in this life we don't want connection with you, God, then in the next life we can't expect that connection. Amen? And so that's kind of what happened to the rich man. Um, and we also talked about Tartarus, which is a place where the angels who disobeyed long ago are kept. A place of gloominess, a place of dungeon, or the abyss, the Bible says. Um, you're like, whoa, we're getting deep. Now today we're talking about the bodily resurrection, which is a bodily resurrection. I didn't want to say the resurrection. You are not a ghost. You are going to be a spiritual body that can interact with physical things. Okay, spiritually physical things. And the person that gives us the most example of that is Jesus Christ's resurrection. He was the firstborn from among the dead, meaning he was the first one to be resurrected. And so as we see Jesus and his bodily resurrection, 
we understand what it's going to be like for us to be resurrected. Amen? You with me? Okay. We're going to talk about today. And then next Sunday. Oh, next Sunday is going to be awesome too. Pray for me. This one is, all of them are challenging, but this one's crazy. I'm going to talk about the new heaven and the new earth and what that's going to be like. The new heaven and the new earth. What? Isn't there just one place? There's a new heaven and a new earth. The Bible says that in Revelation. What does that even mean? I'm still learning. Stay tuned. Um, but I think this, this, uh, this helped me a lot with understanding what happens after you die. This little diagram. Obviously, you have the saved that go to the third heaven. Uh, that's what Paul said. He was caught up in the third heaven. And he goes to paradise. And then when ju- Judgment Day comes, here in paradise, we're awaiting our bodily resurrection, right? And the reward of heaven, Amen. And that happens when Jesus comes back. Those that are separated from Christ, unfortunately, um, are, 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 they have to, essentially, they have not been forgiven of their sins, and therefore, they have not received mercy through the blood of Jesus, and have to earn their way to salvation, which doesn't, isn't, is impossible for any of us to do. And essentially, the Bible says, we do, according to our deeds, endure a punishment of some type, which... You know, I, I hate talking about this, but it's true. And Jesus mentioned this. He mentioned Gehenna or hell many times. He also mentioned Hades many times. He was the one who spoke about it the most. And I think he spoke about it the most because he cared so much about us. He wanted to tell us the truth. The rich man will be punished according, as the Bible said, or when I say the rich man, any person cut off from Christ according to the deeds they've done. The Bible says in Luke 12, those that know God, know the will of God, will be beaten with more blows against those that do not know the will of God, will be beaten with less blows. But there will be blows, none the much. And this person in, in, in Hades, unfortunately, uh, you know, did endure some torment. Uh, but there was a great fixed gulf or chasm where this person cannot come here and this person cannot come here. It's separated in a way that it's impossible for us to go. And therefore, obviously, purgatory is not biblical. Purgatory is not a biblical thing, meaning that we purge ourselves of all evil before sin. That is not biblical. That's nowhere in Scripture. And we, we face judgment after we die once. Amen? Um, and so essentially, after this judgment day happens, everyone knows what's going to happen once you die. So once you die, if you're in paradise, you know you're going to heaven. There's no question like, am I going to heaven? You're going to heaven. Once, if you're in torment, that, that kind of shows you, okay, I'm, I'm going to be punished. But the mercy of God says that you will eventually just cease to exist versus being destroyed forever in hell. This is a second death, the Bible says, okay? And then there's heaven, okay? So these are pretty intense things. Every time I send, put this up on the board, everyone gets quiet. <laughs> I feel uncomfortable talking about this. But this is the truth, church. This is the truth. This is what the Bible teaches. And we need to know the truth. You know, for me, we need to understand when we walk away from God, what's at stake. You know, people say, I think I'm just going to fall away. You think you're just going to fall away? You're just contemplating? Like, I think I'm going to have lettuce, you know, potato salad today. No, you can't be thinking that carelessly about these things. This is not a contemplation. We need to take this stuff seriously 
if we really believe in Jesus. And what did the rich man say when he was in Hades? He said, please tell my five brothers, right, to repent so they don't come to this place. He knew that they would end up the same place, so he was urgent, right? He was so urgent. The most urgent person in the whole world was the rich man in torment. He was like, we got to get them repenting and baptized as quickly as possible. Send Lazarus from the dead. He'll be the preacher man, and he'll help them all. Okay, if you've not heard this passage yet, it's in Luke 16, um, the rich man Lazarus. I'm not going to go there today for the sake of time, but we need to take this stuff seriously. This message really is about the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of the dead. And I'm not going to so much talk about Judgment Day for those that are lost today. I'm only going to talk about if you are saved. Amen. So we're going to keep it all positive today. Amen. And, uh, and, and I say that, in, in, and I'm so worldly when I say a positive way. Because without judgment, without the fire coming, there can be no new heaven and no new earth. Without judgment, there is no heaven. And so we have to, in some ways, welcome judgment. Which is a crazy thing to say, but that's the only time when we get to go to be with God. So we need to say, uh, come Lord Jesus, come. You know, I know I care about those that I love deeply. I want them to make it to, to heaven. But there comes a point in time when God knows exactly everyone's heart. When the full number of people have been saved, he will come back. And then we'll, we'll, we'll be, we'll, we should be joyful about that, which I know is a hard thing to understand. But if you understand who you're becoming, you will be very joyful. And when you also understand that God isn't punishing people for eternity, but he's giving mercy on people, even that they don't, they don't desire Christ, they don't desire heaven. I've talked to atheists who said, I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to see God. I just want to die and cease no longer. And sometimes I say, well, you'll get exactly that. God will even grant that wish to you. God will not force people to go to heaven. God will not force people to to have eternal life. That is a choice that you and I have. It is a gift, not a privilege. And so for all of us understanding this, but today we're going to talk about the wonderful bodily resurrection. Amen? So let's move on here. Uh, we're going to go through a lot of quotes, and this I'm going to send one email out with all three messages and a PDF for each of these slideshows so you won't miss a thing. But I just wanted to go through a couple things that, that I think is important because in some ways, I, I even asked the question, are you, a, are you bodily resurrected in Hades or in paradise? I want to understand that. What happens in the intermediate part even, until you're bodily resurrected. I, I don't know if you guys had that question. I had that question. And so I searched the early Christians in the passages of Scripture, and this is what came out, which was, I thought was very helpful. The Lord taught with great fullness that souls continue to exist. They do this by passing from body. They do, they do not do this by passing from body to body, like reincarnation. Rather, they preserve the same form as that of the body to which they were adapted. The Lord states that the rich man recognized Lazarus after death, as well as Abraham. For these things, it is plainly declared that souls continue to exist, that they do not pass from body to body, that they possess the form of a man, so that they may be recognized, and that they retain the memory of things in this world. 
Moreover, in its plain that the gift of prophecy was possessed by Abraham and that each class receives a habitation such as he deserved even before judgment. So he's talking about this intermediate place and he's saying our spirits, our soul, that, that, how do I say this? Our bodies are decayed, but we have a soul or a spirit that is recognizable. <laughs> it's crazy. And then we go to this third heaven carried by the angels now, we might feel like a soul can touch a soul, right? Because it's the same heavenly body, okay? This is deep. So we will probably interact. The Bible says that Lazarus was supposed to tip the, the, uh, a little bit of water on his tongue. So essentially, the rich man knew that there could be a physical uh, touch, right? And that, 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 that essentially... He understood that there was touch. So we're going to be able to hug each other. We're going to be able to do those kinds of things in paradise, but we're not resurrected immortal yet. You understand what I'm saying? Amen? All right. But, and we also are conscious. Amen? You know, if, if Jesus says, today you'll meet me in paradise, today I'll meet you in paradise, he obviously realized you're going to be conscious. Amen? We are conscious. We're not just sleeping the whole time we might take a little nap in paradise and wake up all nice, but, but we're not going to be unconscious, amen? You know, he's not going to say, hey, today I'll, I'll meet you in paradise. You're going to be just totally out the whole time. You know, he's, he's encouraging, amen, the thief, right? And obviously the other person's conscious too, right? Um, Isaiah 26, 20. This is a very interesting passage, guys, by the way. Um, very interesting passage. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors. Um, that's supposed to say, um, hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. I just thought about this passage. This is a passage that an early Christian writer spoke about. And I just thought, this chamber, we know that Hades is an enclosure, the Bible says, in the third heaven. This is what the early Christians believed. Paradise means enclosed garden. Okay, so... So there is an enclosure that happens to protect God's people from all judgment. Amen? And it is a place when indignation is passed. Essentially, on the day of judgment, all people will be, um, have paid for their sins fully, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Not fully, obviously. Jesus is the only one that can do that. But the, their, their punishment, at least, will be paid. Amen? Tertullian said, we speak of paradise, the place of divine bliss. How about those two words together, guys? Divine bliss. Sounds pretty good to me. What's divine bliss? Have you ever even said those two words together? Wow, this Thanksgiving meal was divine bliss. I've never ever said that, but, but to say those two words together, in some ways I'll say divine and I'll say bliss, but I won't say them together. But that's what paradise is. Appointed to receive the spirit of the saints. The spirits of the saints. Spirits of the saints. There the saints are cut off from the knowledge of this world by a fiery zone, as by a sort of enclosure, so that Elysian's plains have been taken possession. Oops, sorry. Elysian's plains have, been, have taken possession of their faith. So I didn't know anything this was talking about. I was like, say what now? That last sentence? What the heck was that saying? So I looked up Elysian, and I was like, what is Elysian? I've never heard this. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. Elysian. All I know is it 
was in Greek mythology the place where the heroes of old would go to be. Pretty cool stuff. And I used to think, oh, that Greek mythology, that is just silliness. You know, silly stuff. More and more, I'm like, most of this stuff isn't completely true, of course. But there's some truth to it. And, and this was also the words that were used. An interesting place. We, this is a Greek world back in the day. This is a Greek time. And so we use English language today to describe things, right? It doesn't mean that, you know, the way that Plato and these other people believed is true. They're just trying to explain these complex issues in a way that they can understand today. So give it up for the Greeks. <laughs> Got a couple of Greek people here. But this place, even just look up this word, um, Elysian or Elysian, uh, the plains was, was a separated place protected by God, kept for the people uh, who were heroes. That's what you and I are, amen? We're heroes. All right, the bodily resurrection. This is one of the most beautiful paintings. It's Thomas touching the side of Jesus. And it's kind of cool. Jesus entered a locked door from a Thomas who was so stubbornly unbelieving. He said, I don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I don't care if you saw him. You saw a ghost. You're imagining things. I'm going to have to touch his side and touch his hands or I will never believe. Jesus walked in. Okay, so he, he was a bodily resurrected by now. It's already been two weeks, so he missed one Sunday. Amen. He was, you know, why did you miss Sunday, Thomas? Wow, what's he even used? Jesus isn't here. No, we saw him. You missed him. Ah, you saw a ghost. This Sunday he showed up kind of like, let me just see what happens. And boom, Jesus walked through a locked door and yet was able to say, touch me. Touch me. Interesting. Now, Thomas didn't need to touch him. He just saw him, fell on his knees. This was not true. Maybe he did touch him. To be honest, if I was an apostle, I would definitely be touching him. <laughs> and I'm sure they absolutely hugged him and touched him. The Bible says he ate with the, the apostles. He physically ate with the apostles after being resurrected. So what does this tell us? Well, this is what our resurrection will be like. We will not be constrained by the physical world. We'll be able to walk through things of the physical world, but yet be able to be touched. Pretty cool, man. That sounds like some superhero guy, you know what I mean? That's pretty cool. In many ways, you are gonna be the most incredible superhero of all time. You're gonna fly, you're gonna be able to walk through things. You're, that's pretty cool, right? That's amazing, and oh, by the way, you, you'll never die, and you'll be immortal, okay? Why do we like superhero you know, shows and stuff so much? Good question. Why does it make billions and billions of dollars? Because I think inside we say, I think I'm a hero too. I identify with this person. You know, and, 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 and that inspires me. Amen. So let's keep moving here. Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to go through it today. We're going to go rather quickly. So hold on to your Bibles. Colossians 1. Um, this is a very interesting passage. Verse 18. Now, Jesus was never created, amen? 
We know that. Jesus was never born in a spiritual sense. You're with me? He was born, amen, not on Christmas Day. He was born, though, on some day, amen, and that day was an amazing day. We're going to be celebrating that very soon, right, with the virgin birth. But that John says that he was God and he was with God in the beginning, amen. So we know that Jesus was never born, but he says something interesting. Paul, who absolutely believed Jesus is God the immortal, says it in verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible and visible, where the thrones of powers, authorities in heaven, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and all him hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. You guys read that? Firstborn from among the dead. So he was never born, but he was the firstborn among creation. That's what he says. And the firstborn among the dead. Do you realize that Jesus started the new creation with his resurrection? That we're living in the new creation right now. That essentially it's the the intro to it. Jesus was the first born from among the dead. Another way to say that he was the first one to resurrect. No one else is resurrected like him. Lazarus obviously resurrected, amen? But he didn't resurrect like Jesus. He died again. Are you with me? Jesus resurrected immortally. And so that's why he's the first born from among the dead. And guess who's going to be the second born from among the dead? All of us. Unless Jesus comes back before that. Hebrews um, chapter 12. Let's go there. Hebrews chapter 12 is kind of a cool passage. It's, it says a lot in here. We're not going to talk about all that it says in this passage. We're just going to focus on one one single thing it says in chapter 12. It says, Therefore, verse 1, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on who? Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Another version says the forerunner. So, I don't know if we ever think about this, but Jesus' example doesn't just end at his death. It also appeals to his resurrection. So, people go, I don't know what it's going to be like to be resurrected. Yes, you do. Just look at the last gospel, the last part of the gospels, and you understand exactly how you'll be resurrected. Pretty cool, huh? So, let's go there. Let's talk about... How was Jesus resurrected? I love um, the early Christian writer says, No disciples above his master. Our master therefore did not at once depart, taking flight to heaven. Rather, he awaited the time of his resurrection, the three days, as determined by the Father. Likewise, he also should, we also should await the time of our resurrection, determined by God. No disciples above his master. Don't you love how Jesus' words still apply today? With the resurrection. 
as the master was resurrected, so we shall be resurrected. Think about this. When, we, when he appears, we will see him because we will be like him. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. That's, that's humbling. That we're going to be like the immortal, resurrected Jesus Christ. That fires me up. That fires me up. That gives me so much confidence. That gives me so much joy. Amen? We're not going to go through all these things. I'm going to reference some of these things. But take a picture of this. Study it out on your own. We will be like him. 1 John chapter 3. Okay? Let's go to 1 John chapter 3. We can't miss this one. 1 John chapter 3. You ever wonder why Moses was going to get killed when he looked at God's face? Well, we know God is so powerful that you, you can't be amongst the sun and think you're going to be okay, right? Hey, where are you going? I'm going to the sun for vacation. It's going to be awesome. It's going to go fly right into it. Bam. It's going to be nice. You won't make it, right? Thousands and thousands of miles away, you won't make it, right? Because the sun is so powerful. We have a God who made that sun. And that sun is the dinkiest of the suns in the universe. Think about that. How much more God? He said, no, Moses, I need you to do a little more work before, I, before you die. You can't see me and live, the Bible says. Interesting. You can't see me and live. But you can see me if you die. You can see me if you die, Moses. Amen? First John chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Love that word lavished. That we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him. For we shall see him as he is. In every way, you'll be like him, church. In every way, you'll be like him. Here's a thought. This was pre-ascension. What about post-ascension? Go to Revelation 1, 12 through 18. You'll see a, a vision of Christ. You guys remember that vision of Christ? That's so amazing. His eyes were like blazing fire. His hair was white as snow. I mean... This vision of Christ in Revelation is almost scary, right? There's pre-ascension and post-ascension, church. Our immortality, okay? You know how it's really bright and you get used to that brightness? Because your eyes adjust. See, we think God is so bright, but we will be like him. And so our eyes will be like him and we'll be able to adjust. And so we will see God in an amazing way. We'll see God in a new way. I don't know what it's going to be like totally, but I know we're going to be able to see him because we'll be like him. We'll be the same nature of him. It's crazy to think that I'm going to have the same body as Jesus Christ. Resurrected. I'm going to have the same body. It's pretty cool. Okay? But let's talk about uh, pre-ascension. Pre-ascension. <clears throat> let's go to Luke 24. This is a crazy passage about the man on the road to Emmaus. You guys remember that guy? 
Two guys walking around. This is funny. Jesus is just playing games, you know. He's, he's having fun with these guys, you know. They roll up. They're all depressed. And Jesus is like, hey, why are you guys so sad? You know, <laughs> it's just funny. Our, our Lord is seriously funny, guys. He is awesome. He is having a lot of fun. And he says, what's going on? Who? They look at Jesus and they go, were you born yesterday, essentially? Don't you know that the Savior, Messiah, was crucified? And we don't know what's going to happen. He promised a kingdom. That's what he said. And then, and then Jesus is like, hmm, interesting. And then he goes on and preaches. And they're like, who is this guy? Let's have him stay for dinner. And then we see later, obviously, when he broke the bread, they recognized him. Okay? So let's read on. It says, um, chapter 24. We're going to read the whole thing for the sake of time. Verse 17. Or no, verse 13. Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Enemaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. You guys get sad about walking a couple, you know, blocks. Seven miles. These guys are walking. They were talking with each other about everything that happened. As they talked and discussed these things with them, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Hmm. So he was resurrected. But we'll see in Mark 16... They were, he was a different form, the Bible says. Same guy. He could be recognized, but not like we could be recognized. We recognize each other. You ever know someone looks like someone you know? And you just start looking at them like, I know that guy. I'm sure they felt that with Jesus. The Bible says, verse 25, How foolish you are! How slow to believe! All the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning from Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what he said in all the scriptures concerning himself. That's the best seven-mile walk I've ever had in my life. All the scriptures. Do you realize that there are prophecies in the Old Testament that we don't even know about? And you'll never know about them. These guys did. That you realize that, that the apostles almost quoted most, almost all the different books in the Bible when it came to the prophecy of Jesus, but they didn't even touch the surface. And Jesus is doing this. He's explaining. And they're like, we need to have dinner with this guy, right? So they invite him over. In verse 30, it says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And he had disappeared from their sight. Okay, now. So we have Jesus eating a meal with them, walking with them, looking like a normal person that's unrecognizable in a different form. And then he broke bread and then disappeared. That's some crazy stuff. Okay, let's go on to Mark chapter 16. I feel like a kid in a candy shop. Mark 16. How about that? We're going to just be able to like, hey, Rick, I'll see you later. I'm out. You know what I mean? Just teleport somewhere else. You know, we always love Star Trek. Beam me up, Scotty. We're going to be able to do that. This is according to Jesus. He was able to do it. He just disappeared from their sight. Now, I don't know if he just, van- you know, just kind of went visible, invisible all of a sudden. 
or just disappeared. I don't know what happened, but he obviously could make some moves quick. Mark 16, it says in verse 12, uh, verse 12, and I always miss this. I don't, I'll tell you what, I don't read my Bible well because I miss this. And I've been a disciple for 20 years plus. Verse 12, afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form into two of them while they're walking in the country. They returned and reported to the rest, but they did not believe them either. <laughs> I love this. You, these two guys have this experience with Jesus, and they're like, we saw Jesus. He was alive. He broke the brain. He disappeared. And they're like, you're just telling stories. We don't believe you. No, it's true. I mean, imagine being those people, right? Well, how come you didn't recognize him at first? I don't know. He was a different form than the rest of then I remember seeing Jesus. What? Now, people say, well, maybe he kind of transformed into like, you know, someone different looking. Maybe. That could be the case. But it doesn't seem like something supernatural happened. There's just the, your brain tells you what to believe, right? These guys believed Jesus was dead. And then he was alive. But he was a different form, they said. And then they recognized him when he broke the bread. Okay. What's that mean? What's that mean? These other passages, it says he could eat and be touched and interact with the physical world but was not bound by it. It's amazing. Jesus was raised as an immortal body but was not a ghost. In, in, um, in John chapter 20, let's go there. And I think you've got to do your own study on this because this is, this, t- this is its own message in itself, right? Um, but John 20, verse 15 says, Woman, why are you crying? Who is, who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where he put him and I will get them. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried in Aram- Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go and said to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that, these, that he said these things to her. Wow. So obviously Mary was holding on to Jesus. He was, Mary was the first person to touch Jesus after he was resurrected. First person to see Jesus after he's resurrected. Pretty amazing. A woman. We know back in the day, unfortunately, women were not treated with the right respect that they were treated with today. Obviously, we think probably they need to be treated with more respect. Amen. But they would not take testimony from a woman. They believed that women can't give testimony about anything. So in court, women would not testify. Isn't that crazy? So that obviously was a really challenging thing for women, right? And men, when they needed testimony from women. But isn't it funny? If you were making up this story, you would not have a woman give the first testimony and say, I saw Jesus first. And that's what actually, uh, uh, if you read um, the case for Christ, was the thing that put um, Strobel over the edge. He was like, there's no way they can make this up. This was real testimony. Amen? 
That's just a little commercial break for you. But, <laughs> but what's amazing is she's holding on to it. So Jesus could eat. He, he made breakfast for the disciples in John 21. <laughs> He's like, hey, I just got some fish for you. You want to eat? He made the fire. He, they jumped out of the water and went to him. Amen? Amazing, right? It's interesting that they all recognized him when, they, when he spoke, and Mary recognized him by his voice. Hmm. John 5 says, all will hear the voice of the Son of Man and will raise up. They are my sheep, and they know my voice. Wow. Sometimes what we see isn't as important as what we hear. But let's move on, amen? Justin Martyr. In truth, Christ was even called called the flesh to the resurrection. He promises everlasting life to it. Why did he rise in the flesh in which he suffered unless he was to demonstrate the resurrection of the flesh? It's interesting that Jesus, if you would raise Jesus from the dead, that his, his holes were still there and his side was still there and his feet were still open with, with, with wounds, obviously healed wounds that weren't hurting anymore. What's up with that? If you're going to resurrect someone, don't you want to make them all better? We're going to talk about this. What you do in this life affects the next life. The most amazing things you do on this life will be echoed into eternity. And the smallest things you do in life. This is just one day of Jesus' life. He rose from the dead and he had the marks of a crucified man. Well, that was to show that he was really who he was. Yes, but isn't that interesting? That, that, that are the great spiritual things we do in this life can affect the next life. Um, this uh, early Christian, Tatian, said, We believe that there will be a resurrection of bodies after the consummation of all things. Theolopus said, God will raise your flesh immortal with your soul. And then having become immortal, you will see the immortal. If you now believe on him. Wow. That's a, that's a quote right there. It's real simple, but it's real complicated and simple and amazing. You will have flesh immortal. I think it was funny. The Gnostics were such... They, they just believed everything that was physical was evil... Even so much that there was, a, there was a, these were heretics back in the day. They believed that an evil God made the world. That was pretty extreme, right? We know a good God made a good world that fell because of sin. And it's still good, amen? We hear, what a wonderful world. You know, that guy, you know, he says it, you know. And, and we know it's a wonderful world, but God made it wonderful. And we've, we've the one who destroyed it, but it's still wonderful, Amen. Flesh is not evil. And our God, I believe, meant for things to be physical in some ways because they help us. And in many ways, the spiritual world is physical. It's not spiritual. Angels could interact with people. Angels ate with people. Think about that. The Bible says you will be like the angels. Angels interacted with people. Angels grabbed, right? Lot and his family and said, you are not listening to me. Sulfur's coming down and made them come. 
physically, the angels slammed the, uh, threw the people out that wanted to uh, violate them, right, in, in Sodom, and closed the door. The angels are physical as well as spiritual. But they are not constrained to what we're constrained with. Whoa, this is getting deep. Okay, another one. This is a powerful one. When the number is completed that he has be determined in his own counsel, all those who have enrolled for life. I love this. I've enrolled for life. Who's signing up? Sign me up for the Christian Jubilee. I've signed up. I'm enrolled. Amen. And the good thing is everyone's accepted. <laughs> you don't get rejection letters if you believe in Jesus and do what he says. will rise again. They will have their own bodies, their own souls, and their own spirits in which they have pleased God. On the other hand, those who deserve punishment will go away into it. They too, having their own souls and their own bodies. Both classes will then cease from any longer begetting and being begotten. From marrying and being given into marriage. We don't have time to talk about the passage in um, a couple times in the Gospels when Jesus talked about we will be like the angels will not give give into marriage. That's a whole other message in itself. But I want to encourage you as we see little Avon, mothers out there, do you realize you are creating souls every time you have a baby? And what a blessing that is. Also, what a big responsibility that is. But that will cease. There'll be no more begetting. And so I'm grateful that Jesus didn't come back because I wasn't begotten yet. And, and this full number of souls will be reached. Now, will God do something else? I'm sure he's got something up his sleeve. But... It will not be like we know it. Raised to immortality. Even though fire may destroy all traces of my flesh, the earth still receives the vaporized matter. Mm. And though my body may be dispersed through rivers and seas or torn into pieces by wild beasts, I'm laid up in the storehouses of a wealthy Lord. So the Gnostics were the biggest critics. And I thank God that they were the biggest critics because they helped us with the resurrection. Amen. Your critics are your friends. People that bring about the most doubts, you should say thank you because you're building my faith. The Gnostics would ask all these crazy questions. Well, what if a lion eats you? Where's your body then? And then another lion eats the other part of your body. What if you're burnt and your ashes are everywhere? How do you bodily resurrect then? What if you're disintegrated and then people take your ashes and give them to different animals to eat? And then I also throw it in this sea and that sea. I mean, they'd ask these crazy questions. And the early Christians had to answer these questions. And they did answer these questions. This guy answered. He basically said, the answer is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit basically hovers over the whole earth and knows exactly what's going on. How is the whole earth created? How is the earth still going on? The Holy Spirit, the forgotten God, by the way, needs to be remembered because he remembers you when you die. He remembers you and he, he knows who you are and puts you back just the way you are. Just in exact form, but immortal as you are. And another early Christian writer said, if God created us out of nothing, 
out of dust, how much easier will it be to collect us from dust? Wow. Our God is awesome, isn't it? Should I be created or should I have a body, you know, put in the ground? If we understand science, we realize both things will eventually happen. So what's the answer? Don't worry about it. Obviously, you, you need to worry about it in a will, but don't worry about it in a sense of God is going to bring you back. Amen? Essentially, your soul will be taken or your spirit will be taken to paradise. Your body is being collected. And already, in some ways, the Bible says you've been raised with Christ. You might have a body already for you. Being impacted by what you do on earth. I know this is crazy, and I, I, I use all these examples. They're really dumb. You know the cloud, right? The cloud? It's up in the cloud, right? It's interesting. They say it's up in the cloud. Almost like it's up in heaven. Well, all my information, my photos, my great documents that are so important that I need to cloud them are up in the cloud. And then whenever I want them, I can get them back. If we, stupid people, compared to God, can understand how to do that, don't you think God can understand how to do it to us? Just another thought here. Okay. Probably better than my Fortnite example last week. Okay. <laughs> Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to end with this passage. We're going to end here. I'm going to go a little longer, but we're going to end here in this passage. This is the passage about the resurrection. And Paul is speaking to a really disjointed um, church in Corinth. Now, you think our church is messed up. Amen. Be grateful that you don't live in Corinth. Because they were really, I don't think anyone in the communion got drunk. Did anyone get drunk at the communion? Amen. No one's taking anyone to court. Amen. Nobody's, you know, we we can keep going. It gets a little sad. But essentially, we know that one of the things that was the most important thing is they thought the resurrection is not, doesn't happen. That the resurrection already took place or the resurrection already happened. So what they did was they were like freaking out. Wait a second. Wait, wait, what? Why am I even doing this thing? And in verse 35 in chapter 15, we'll read this passage. It says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? That's my question. With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he determined, and each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds have another. Fish have another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, And the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And stars differ from star in splendor. Isn't it cool how much Paul knows about this? I mean, we had all those people in the first century. They didn't know anything. What? They knew stars were different before the Hubble telescope. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a natural body. 
If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a living, giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As with the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as the heavenly man, so are those of the heaven. And just as we are born in the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Who's the heavenly man? Jesus. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of the eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must close itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortal. With immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain, drop the mic. You know what I mean? Like, wow, there's a lot being said. It's interesting how much explaining and examples Paul is doing to help us understand. Reptiles have a different body. Birds have a different body. So does the heavenly and perishable have a different body. It's not a ghost, it's a body. Amen? It's interesting how he uses the seed as an example. This is a huge help to us, okay? The seed. Give it up for seeds. Who likes to plant things? Those are, those are awesome, the seeds, right? You put this dead seed in the ground. That's what a seed is. It's dead. It's dead. But once you put it in the ground, what happens? It becomes alive. What's up with that, by the way? Can I just say, what's up with that? How does something dead become alive when you put it in the ground and you put water on it? Scientists will tell you, this is why photosynthesis, blah, 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 blah. But isn't it still amazing? You put a dead thing in the ground and it, and it rises again. What was God trying to do? He's trying to show us about the resurrection. He's trying to help us understand that we die looking pretty dead, looking pretty, you know, nothing, meaningless. The Bible says perishable. Um, unglorious, and then we come out a new body, a whole new body, but the same substance. You know, you see those acorns. I get a lot of acorns that come down, and trees are popping up out of my ground. It's kind of tough because I got all these trees, these maple trees also that are growing, and oak and maple, they just start growing by themselves. I didn't plant them, but they just, they're just powerful, right? And man, they hit you in the head. It hurts, right? But essentially... These are seeds. We are that seed that, that goes, and we are raised immortal. Amen? We're raised immortal. Uh, if you ever want to read an amazing book, The Divine Romance. Who's read this book before? Wow. Get this book. Get this book this Christmas. Get this book, The Divine Romance by Gene Edwards. It speaks about the whole 
plan of God to woo us as his love. It's a beautiful book. I read it every year, twice a year. And, but he talks about the seed in this. It's an amazing, amazing book that gives you the whole picture. And I think in a very biblical way. Marcus Felix says, Do you think that when anything is withdrawn from our feeble eyes, it perishes to God? Everybody is withdrawn from us, but is reserved for God in the custody of the elements. This is so regardless of whether it's dried up or dust, dissolved in water, or vaporized as smoke. Again, God doesn't need um, to collect. It's already collected. Tertullian says, The very same flesh that was once sown in death will bear fruit in the resurrection life. It will be the same in essence, only it will be more full and perfect. Hmm. It will not be another body, although reappearing in another form. For it will receive in itself the grace and adornment that God desires to spread over it according to its merits. Origin, the apostolic teaching teaches that there is, will be a time of the resurrection from the dead when this body, which is sown in corruption, will rise in corruption, and when which is sown in dishonor will rise in glory. There's so many early Christian quotes. This is, my, this is the last one. The Lord went away in the midst of the shadow of death, where the souls of the dead were. However, afterwards, he arose in the body, and after the resurrection, he was taken up into heaven. For this is clear that the souls of his disciples will also go away with, into the invisible place, that is paradise, allowed to them by God, and then remain there until the resurrection, awaiting that event, then receiving their bodies and rising in their entirety, that is, bodily, just as the Lord rose, they will come in that manner into the presence of God. Wow, they really believe this. Amen? They really believe this. The last verse in this chapter says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I want to end with this, guys. Paul lived in full view of the resurrection. And honestly, next week we're going to talk more fully about this. But what does this do for you? You know, we, just, we looked at a lot of stuff today, didn't we? We looked at the bodily resurrection. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Do we know, church? Do we know to the full extent of that passage? Are you giving yourself fully to the work of the Lord? Let me say this. If you are not, it's because you don't understand the resurrection. You don't understand the full understanding of this resurrection. The full understanding. You go, it's because I'm lazy. Guess what? You work hard for things you care about. You work really hard for them. Laziness, yes, is a character issue. And we all can be lazy. But we lack faith. That's what it comes down to. You know, I really believe things. I really do things. We need to, to baptize ourselves with the resurrection. We need to understand this the way Paul did. Paul worked so hard because of the grace of God. He worked so hard. He kept his conscience clear, the Bible says in Acts 24. He says, I have a hope of the resurrection. Therefore, I work hard and I always try to keep my conscience clear. Because of this resurrection. What does this resurrection do for you? You know, I love the quote in uh, Gladiator. What we do in life echoes into eternity. 
He also mentions Elysian in that time too. It was kind of cool. Like he mentions that as well. But thinking about this, the message version says, but now in a single victorious stroke of life, all three sin, guilt, death are gone. The gift of the master Jesus Christ. Thank God. With all things going for us, my dear brothers, my dear, dear friends, stand your ground and do not hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. Think about this. Jesus still had his marks. That everything we do, the Bible says, pray that the kingdom come as on earth as it is in heaven. Someday heaven and earth will be unified and that prayer will be answered. We're going to talk about that next week. But essentially everything you do is impacting the next life. Angels are affected by what you do. When some single person repents, angels rejoice. Why do they care? Why are they rejoicing? What does it matter to them? They're saved. Why does it impact them? Why was the Lord grieved when he saw the earth in its wickedness? Why does what we do impact heaven? Because we impact each other. You impact heaven. You impact the new earth. You impact this new life. It's time to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. When the final resurrection occurs at the centerpiece of God's new creation, we will discover that everything done in the present world, in the power of Jesus' own resurrection, will be celebrated and included, appropriately transformed. Everything. Everything will be included and everything will be transformed. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every act of care and of nurture, of comfort and support for one's own fellow human beings and for the matter of one's fellow non-human creatures, And of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed which spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than the corruption, makes the name of Jesus honored in the world. All of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation which God will one day make right. God's creation of his wonderful world, his recreation of the wonderful world, which has begun with the resurrection of Jesus and continues mysteriously as God's people live in the risen Christ in the power of his spirit. Means that what we do in Christ and by the spirit in the present is not wasted. It will at last all the way be all in the way of God's new world. In fact, what you do here will be enhanced in the next world. You know, I just want to ask you, how are you going to finish strong in 2019? I'm serious. You know, I know it's Christmas time and we're starting to bat down the hatches. You know, you already think next year. Your work is thinking next year. Everyone's thinking next year. But how are you going to finish strong in 2019? What are you going to do for the Lord? What are you going to do because of this resurrection in 2020? I just want to encourage you to dream yourself. This week, take some time to think about what you can do to fully give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. You know, no act will be unnoticed or enhanced in this next life. Next week, we're going to talk about the new heaven and new earth. 
And I think it's going to be amazing. But I want to encourage you to realize that what you do here echoes into eternity. And it doesn't just echo. It is enhanced. It doesn't just echo. An echo is a faint sound of what was said. It doesn't just echo. It is enhanced. Every time you see Jesus, what do you see about him? You see a crucified Lord. You see someone with the marks of Christ. Do you realize that everything you do is being noticed? And even being, being a part of your newly resurrected body. The bodily resurrection is going to happen, guys. And when it happens, I want to encourage us to be able to say, I gave myself fully to the work of the Lord. And because of that, this new world is a better place. This new earth is a better place. And the new heaven is a better place. Not because of just what God did, but because of what God allowed me to do. Amen.